The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Javante, Jacob, Katia, Andrew, Tia, Violet, Dustin, Shahizi, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to this uh, to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me today are Roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Thank you. Thank you, Henry, for being here. And uh, we'll, uh, I guess we'll we'll just pick it up where uh, where I left off. A Michigan Senate committee is meeting this week to discuss. Vote counting in Detroit, an announcement that came one day after a news release from the campaign of President Donald Trump, touted legislative hearings examining election results in several states across the country. Amber uh, Amber McCann, a spokeswoman for State Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, said Wednesday afternoon the hearing was previously planned and is not at all related to Trump. As of Wednesday morning, no Mm -hmm. hearings had been scheduled despite a release Tuesday from Trump attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis that touted a legislative meeting scheduled for next Tuesday. But the Senate Oversight Committee later in the day scheduled a hearing to discuss vote counting operations in Detroit. The only item on the agenda is testimony regarding absentee ballot counting at the TCF Center. The chairman has no plans for the Trump campaign to participate in those hearings, McCann said in an earlier statement. Do you believe that this hearing is not at all related to Trump? <laughs> no. I, in fact, I, I thought Giuliani was coming in today. I, I, maybe I heard, heard it wrong this morning, but I thought uh, Giuliani was coming into the state to testify on that, on, in front of that committee. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I may. Be. Well, actually, I'll I'll go ahead and and uh, 
and do this next piece and then we can con we can consider all of it together. Rudy Giuliani, an attorney for the campaign of President Donald Trump, is scheduled to testify in person today during a Michigan legislative hearing, according to a new statement from a Michigan state lawmaker. Michigan House Oversight Committee Chairman Matt Hall said uh, Giuliani will speak during a hearing Wednesday that was not previously scheduled. As of 10.45 a.m. yesterday, the hearing was not listed on the state legislative calendar, mm. yet the meeting is set for 6 p.m., though it could start later depending on when proceedings in the full House wrap up Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> the hearing would come after Michigan already certified election results showing President-elect Joe Biden won the state, a decision that has not stopped Trump and his allies from spreading misinformation about election results across the country. Is Rudy Giuliani's testimony relevant, and do you believe that the hearing is not at all related to Trump? <laughs> my, my thought is if Giuliani's here, it's about Trump, because I mean, that's, that's his whole duty. Well, uh, I think both issues are important. First of all, uh, Giuliani's his job is to find out whether there was some poquito, a small amount of evidence that there was cheating, and uh, and you're going to find that, guys. I'm sorry, uh, they knew that in 1787 when they put the nation together, that things would would not be as uh, <clears throat> as clear. And uh, legislative policy or processes or procedures. They knew that some things were going to be wrong and not make the case for a good, clean decision-making. And therefore, they were willing to <clears throat> accept uh, the Constitution and work toward a, quote, unquote, more perfect union. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't. They expected this, and there comes a time when people just get exhausted with all the dialogue of yeah. crippling. Uh, so yeah. uh, I think uh, once Giuliani uh, comes in of his format and, and uh, has it uh, evaluated by his critics, uh, we should move on. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a fairly nonpartisan way, you can make a case that uh, as we've made the shift to the absentee mail and voting more so, and it may last in the future, that there probably are glitches that need to be ironed out and some mechanical things that may be made a little clearer and all that. But as I say, in terms of any kind of massive cheating, there's absolutely no evidence of that so far from any city source. But all these rumors, again, do far more damage in many ways than cheating ever did. I have made the statement before that probably with all the double and triple checking we're doing with this election, this may well be the most uh, fair and honest election we've ever had in this country. Because uh, there certainly have been, in, in the past, there were certainly an awful lot of past stories about cheating in elections. I grew up around the Chicago area, and it was certainly famous for that kind of thing in, in many elections past. And you can find examples in, in years past where, uh, uh, remember the story about uh, Lyndon Johnson, and when he won the Senate race in, in Texas for the first time, I think it was in 1948, I believe, and he he had lost the previous race, and he just barely won in Texas from some small county in the southern border, and all the voters who voted for him were assigned in alphabetical order, and he was teasingly called Landslide Linden, because <laughs> almost certainly somebody was stopping the ballot box there. 
that's interesting. But that's, no, I, I, when you try to say, well, nobody cheated, how can you form your lips to say that? Well, because you, we've had a councilman here in the city of Flint that voted 10 times at once, or two or three times at least. The history of that. And you might it's like the old... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the old W.C. Fields line, he's, he's, in, he's meeting the mayor, and he says, um, you know, hello, mayor, uh, your honor, I'm, I'm glad to know you. I voted for you in the last election five times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there, remember the, the famous quote, I think it was Morris Udall, one of the Udall brothers, said that when he died, he wanted to be buried in Chicago so he could remain politically active. (laughs) (laughs) But but then uh, the the seriousness with which we um, respond to trivia in politics is helps to destroy the beauty of a constitutional government. Yeah, and like I say, I think real for all the teasing we find out about these examples in the past, as I say, the the evidence uh, this year, especially with all the checking that's going on, has simply found no significant number of organized cheating of any kind. You know, occasional person well, here or there has done something goofy, but nothing of any great consequence. But once the claim is made, we've got to bring it to a resolution, but or yeah, else we can't yeah, move well, ahead. That's true. But and I, I think that Giuliani's part of this is is uh, is good for the Giuliani investigation, and people should not get all hyped up over nothing. Uh, everything well, is moving and, toward this conclusion. Henry, you made that uh, President Biden will be seated at the twentieth of January. Henry, you made an important point when you said, you know, it's 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 impossible to say that there is no fraud or that there are no mistakes being made or that the election is completely secure and i'm jumping ahead a little bit because we sort of touched on it paul did when he brought up uh, uh, william barr from uh, well the attorney general um so i'll go ahead and read this um because i think william barr phrased it very well The Justice Department hasn't found evidence to support allegations of widespread fraud that could have changed the result of last month's presidential election, Um, Attorney General William Barr said in an interview with the Associated Press published yesterday. Uh, The comments from Barr, who has been steadfast in his support of President Donald Trump during his tenure, represent the latest official rebuke from Republicans of the president's claims of widespread fraud in his loss to Joe Biden. And here's the quote from William Barr. To date, we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. See, I think that says it very well. Of course, there's of course there's some fraud, but it's not yeah, going to make any difference. In a nation of 300 million people, there's always going to be somebody. And so you know, my, my question behind that, that little piece um, was, you know, what does this say about the security of the 2020 presidential election? I, I think it says a lot. It does. And I think that we're headed in the right direction. The country's headed in the right direction. You know, and, and I, I hope that uh, President Trump will allow that to, to proceed. And, and, I, and just for this. 
I want to thank the institutions of government and American business for creating and hiring young black Americans, Hispanic, and people of color to job creations and more equitable placement in the nation's economy with record-breaking statistics that will well, become yes, a pattern in our economy no matter who becomes president. Guys, Do you think Barr's statement is going to kind of cause this, all these, this, this conspiracy stuff to kind of wind down? I mean, I, I yeah. almost wonder whether more than anybody is with, with Barr saying that, whether or not you're going to see more Republicans say, all right, game over, call it a day. And 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 we'll we'll see less of this. I I wonder. I because I th- I think he's critical because he's been so close to Trump for so long, and uh, and being Attorney General, obviously, uh, his statement carries an awful lot of weight. And I wonder if he's going to end up bringing a lot of folks along with him in the weeks to come. Well, I you know I the momentum with which uh, things are proceeding, and the press is no longer uh, seeking out comments from the president, President Trump. <clears throat> And he, in some ways, he's isolated. And yet the momentum for uh, President Biden is moving toward that January 20th date in which he will be seated. I think that people are expecting that. This is becoming part of the American people's expectation. And I don't know how we turn that back, no matter what you do. I don't see how. But what we can do is ask President uh, Trump to be gracious in its abdication of the state of president of the United States. You know, you make a good point, Henry. This is, I, I'm thinking that the last couple of weeks, or almost a month now since the election, Trump has been in the news less than he has been ever in the last four years. I mean, he's almost, I wouldn't say he's invisible because he's tweeting and all that, but as far as press conferences and, and other public statements, there been he's become almost invisible in that sense. I think he's only made he two or three public uh, appearance statements since the election. Yeah, yeah. Now and, this does and, not mean that I, Henry Hatter, is degrading the president of the United States, Donald Trump, because I'm not standing in for him. I want to see him not only leave in a in a spiral of confusion but in grace for what he's accomplished for the American people. Yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that can be perceived as a slam on the president Henry. I think you're you know echoing the sentiments of um more and more republicans who are saying, you know, uh please Mr. President, let's do this with a little dignity. Mhm. His own legacy, leaving with some sense of class, would make a difference if he can do it. And, you know, uh, the people of this generation don't necessarily credit the president of, of the, their own time as, as great. But as the new generation look back upon this, they will, may perceive a completely different perspective of President Trump. So, uh, you know, he needs to leave... Uh, the American people with that kind of impression. You know, I think that one thing that's going to be true about Trump... we're doing this for the country and not for Trump. We're yeah. doing he's going to have more country. books written about him than any other president because of the kind of character he has been. I mean, he'll... I think you're probably he, he right will... about that. 
Um, yeah, Paul, he, I have to stop you there. We have right. a break coming up, but uh, we'll have more armchair politics after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, uh, we have some messages as well. More armchair politics is straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Your heart delight. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Out of sight. Have yourself. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, 
Visit cdc.gov. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to geneseehealthplan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. And the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, Continuing with uh, Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Um, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, let's see, where did we leave off? Oh, I know. Um, I was just going to get to this uh, this piece. Three Michigan Democrats are reportedly being considered for roles in President-elect Joe Biden's administration. U.S. Representative Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat from Holly, was mentioned in a New York Times report about contenders to become Biden's CIA director. While several unions endorsed U.S. Representative Andy Levin, Uh, to lead the U.S. Department of Labor. Progressive groups, including the Sunrise Movement and Justice Democrats, started a petition endorsing U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib to lead the Department of Housing and Urban Urban Development. What do you think of these choices and their chances? Hmm. Um, My only thought is that at least a couple of those, at least two of those seats, would would that open the door if if there was an appointment to vacate the seat? Would that open the door to a Republican winning the election? Uh, for Slotkin, that could happen. That would be good for us. <laughs> I know it would be. That's why I say that's that right, happened. <laughs> but so, did you? So but have you read Slotkin's um, resume? Oh yeah, I, I, I've seen it. I believe in the past. It is impressive. It's very impressive. In fact, yeah. I, I don't remember. Um, actually seeing it and getting a chance to look it over like I have since this uh, New York Times report came out. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it recently, but no, I, I've, I've, I've certainly seen parts of it in in the past. And, yeah, very impressive in many ways. And, and I think she'd be very qualified. But like I say, politically, I wonder whether you want to create a vacancy there. And the other two I, just seem to be sort of sentimental favorites. Yeah, I think well, that's I, And true. I have a problem with the other two. Um <clears throat> Now, Ms. Slotkin's, I have no problem with. Uh, and the president then can do his own will. But Tlaib, I think that she would continue to erode any possibility of white Americans and black Americans, especially African Americans, to work together with, the, with, the, with Republicans or with whites. You know, I, I just think that we're going too far the other way. Yeah, I wonder if she might be kind of a divisive figure, especially for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Yeah, I, there are I, a lot of issues there. As I say, I, I see that the, the the mere mention of her is more of a sentimental thing 
for the progressive Dems. But realistically, I, I'd be very surprised if it happens. Well, moving on. Uh, President Donald Trump and his political operation have raised more than $170 million since Election Day, uh, according to someone familiar with uh, the massive fundraising hall fueled by Trump's, and I'm quoting from the article, fueled by Trump's baseless allegations that the election was rigged. The fundraising flowed into the coffers of Trump's joint fundraising committee in less than four weeks thanks to a barrage of fundraising solicitations to Trump supporters, urging them to donate to an election defense fund as the president hyped up conspiracy theories about a stolen election. In reality, an increasingly large share of the funds have helped retire the Trump campaign's debt and fund the president's future political operation via a a political action committee. You know... Something bothered me about this article, and so the question that I have for you isn't so much about Trump raising money or where that money's going. It's in this article from CNN, who is declaring Trump allegations baseless? This wasn't part of a quote from someone. Hmm. Yeah, those, those quotes have circulated a lot. I, I would assume that those came from Democrats. They, no, what, I, what I'm saying is this is something that the, a word that the writer has chosen themselves rather than presenting yeah. someone's yeah. view of it. Trump says it yeah, was fixed. I, I see what you're saying. Journalistically, they, it probably yeah, should, the yeah. word should not have been there. But I'm seeing yeah. that more and more, and I wanted to use this as an example to bring that up. Um, we saw it in in free press stories, talking about uh, misinformation, and this is not coming from, um, you know, when when a Republican uh, Secretary of State in Georgia or one of the other uh, battleground states says these are baseless or. No, this is misinformation. Even when Democrats say it from the other side of the aisle, then it's it's quote worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But for a writer to inject that, you know, just say that the president is challenging the validity of the election. You've said what needs to be said. Yeah, I think journalistically that's probably a wiser move. But um, baseless is it, an editorial comment. Yeah, yeah. Based on some facts, on some evidence that this is likely to be true, you're right. So this this begs the question: Where is it coming from? I I well, in this particular story, it came from the writer. Now the writer may know that there are a lot of people who would make that claim, but then quote them. True. I, I, I think in terms of, of journalistic practice, to use the quote rather than your own opinion there. But journal, journal, the purpose of uh, journalism is to create doubt in anything. It's to it's, get people to respond to something, to uh, uh, drive the issue into confusion. 
so that you come well, up. That, um, that really shouldn't know, be the goal of a journalist. I know it shouldn't. No, but they, they, should be, they ask questions. They should be Even asking when, the questions. The way the questions yeah. are answered determines whether or not we, may, as as consumers, as readers, as listeners, as watchers, make a determination that it's um, that that we have doubts now. Yeah, the the only the, I, I agree with that entirely. The only slight counterpoint is is there a limit? For example, if somebody comes out and says the world is flat, does a reporter <laughs> simply report that as, as a factual statement, or add anything to the fact that not very many people think the world is flat? Uh, you know, there, is there a limit to that? But I, in general, I, I agree with your your comments about the use of that term in this in this context. But are there limits to how far a, a uh, where, where should a, a reporter step in and, and offer some counterpoint on their own if, if, if there are some wily, wily target statements? And I, I don't have a clear answer to that one, but I, I suggest, like I say, if somebody, if somebody claims the world is flat, you report that as a simple factual statement and let it be, or do you respond and say, well, yeah, so-and-so said this, but 99.5% of all scientists disagree. Uh, yeah, Copernicus doesn't agree with you. Even, even, <laughs> Paul, even, even if you don't, <laughs> even if you don't present both sides of the argument, at least attribute the comment to someone. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's the, yeah. the wisest journalistic right. practice. That's true. I agree with that. Well, here's yeah. um, here's an interesting one. Uh, an attorney for the Trump campaign on Monday issued a call for violence against Chris Krebs. That's the security official, the cybersecurity official um, that we were trying to think of earlier, Paul, who was unceremoniously ousted from his post by President Donald Trump after he rejected the president's unfounded, again, there's that word, unfounded claims of widespread voter fraud. Joe DiGenova, the attorney for Trump's campaign, said during an appearance on the Howie Carr Show, anybody who thinks the election went well, like that idiot Krebs, who used to be the head of cybersecurity, the guy is a class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn, and shot. A day later, DiGenova tried to walk back his remarks by portraying them as a joke. For anyone listening to the Howie Carr Show, it was obvious that my remarks were sarcastic and made in jest. I, of course, wish Mr. Krebs no harm. This was hyperbole in a political discourse, DeGenova said Tuesday in a statement distributed by the Trump campaign. Is this kind of sarcasm? Yeah, I was going to say, Henry, is this kind of sarcasm and jest appropriate for an attorney? let alone one uh, representing the president's campaign. It's appropriate for the president, for anybody who serves the people in the elective office. It's, a poor, it's, it's, it's not appropriate even for his critics on the other side. That is not who we are or should be. We're a nation that's, who has survived for 241 years, and we've never had the kind of mania that we've seen in 2020. You know, I think I think in some ways, Tom, this is a point you've talked about before. The whole idea of what you often call rant radio, where sometimes the only thing that gets attention is these wild, outrageous statements, 
and the more reasonable ones get ignored. And so if you want to get attention, unfortunately, you say something crazy, and all of a sudden it becomes a headline. And, and that tends to dominate so much of, as I say, the term you use of rant radio. Sensationalism. Yeah. And Americans yeah. love sensationalism and living in this crisis. I don't know why we can't just live with you know, I've always, uh, or not always, Control. but for a long time, I have tended to be kind of negative toward Fox News. And that was because they always seemed to be carrying the water for the president or for conservatives and not really reporting the news, as they say in their slogan, Fair and Balanced. But I've been watching it lately, and they have some staff that is absolutely first rate. Now they still have the rant TV guys. You know, they've still got, you know, Hannity and Tucker Carlson right. and you know some of those people. And I feel the same way about, you know, um Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon on CNN that you know, they just get up there and start just riffing on on things and and criticizing people that they don't happen to agree with without any real background or credibility to be making those comments and sharing those opinions but fox has put together some really good people at their news desk and lately their coverage really has been fair and balanced and top-notch and, and, and ironically, they, because of that, they're getting some flack from Trump as he's yeah. turned to that yeah. other one. Yeah, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, what, what are you guys doing? You know, you can't criticize yeah. me. You can't. You're on my side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the age of inclusion for women and for people of color and for transgender and all of those, we have to relax this kind of criticism. It's doing nothing but tearing us apart as a nation. And uh, so, uh, somehow we have to change direction. It's got to be the press or it's got to be the elected leaders. I don't know, but I'm so glad that there are people like Paul Mitchell and others uh, and some Democrats. I've seen some Democrats worth their salt. So... Um, <clears throat> Uh, those are the kind of people and women who have got to make the system better than what it is right now. It, it was well planned and well put together, but, but it's disintegrating. Well, you know, I, I think one thing that contributed a lot to the, to, to the vision and fragmentation of, of the nation is the fragmented media. I mean, there was once a time where we had three major networks and then we got our news from them and we were all whether you're Republican or Democrat, we were kind of on the same page to some degree. But now, if you want to get, you know, pure Democratic news or pure Republican news or or just listen to to one rant radio station yeah. there, you can do that, and it just feeds your own opinion. And I think, and, and on top of that, of course, is, is also the social media, where you can get whatever you want on Facebook that will feed the wildest cons conspiracy theories. And you rarely hear a counterpoint to those kind of things. Yeah, and the the problem with that kind of segmented um, conversation is that it's it's easy to find people who already agree with you, but how do you ever learn anything if That's you right, don't exactly. hear, you know, from from people outside your scope yeah. of yeah. thought? 
and you it's, know that's something we've always I, I've been so impressed with Henry who you know at many times has been on the defensive for conservative uh, causes the president uh, uh, the White House the presidency and conservatism in general but he's always one of the first people to say hmm I might have changed my mind about this yeah no I, I agree with you entirely on that you know one of my favorite way quotes all is the Americans one that Believe it or not, most Americans have that sentiment. They have that ability. They have that ability. They have that ability, Henry, and and I think they have that mindset. But if they continue to be bombarded with only one point of view, because they have selected a particular media outlet to follow, um, very often they're not as informed as they could be. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the one that Chris Matthews used to use is, tell me something I don't know, when he would ask yeah. somebody a question. And I think that's a great quote for all kinds of situations. Yeah but, yeah, but Chris also had the ability to do, as as he titled one of his books, let me tell you what I really think. Yeah, that's, that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me move on. I want to try and get at least one or two more in. President Donald Trump has acknowledged, sort of, and without admitting defeat, that Joe Biden will be taking over on January 20th at noon. Between now and then, we can expect to see the last-minute pardon fest undertaken by most presidents, which any betting person would wager Trump is going to undertake in a very big way. Trump has already commuted the sentence of his informal advisor, Roger Stone, Uh, Last Wednesday, he announced that he had granted a full pardon to his former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, who admitted lying to the FBI but had been trying to take back the plea. Uh, But this former campaign chairman, uh, Paul Manafort, is still in home confinement, serving out a prison sentence. There's a long list of other people Trump could also grant the favor of presidential pardon. One question that will loom until he leaves office is whether he could grant that favor to himself. To the extent that there's an open question about self-pardons, it's because no other U.S. president had the audacity to think he could do it. The Constitution doesn't expressly forbid it in writing, although it does forbid pardons in cases of impeachment. But that doesn't mean Trump could do it. There was a legal memo written by the Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel just days before Richard Nixon's resignation in 1974 that argued a president could not self-pardon. The Justice Department's position was quite simple. Under the fundamental rule that no one may be a judge in his own case, it would seem that the question should be answered in the negative. My question is, do you think the president will try to pardon himself anyway? Hmm. Well, I, I think it would be uh, pretty bad if he didn't try to save himself from people who were who are parasites and who are, uh, will do anything to condemn that president. Just like uh, when uh, Mrs. Clinton said, "Do not concede to President Trump, even if he won." That triggered a lot of other negative positions that President Trump took that, to me, should be regrettable. should not have responded to that. Here's one thought on that. If if he would try that, I mean, and I wouldn't be totally shocked if he did, do you think that would almost encourage the state officials 
in New York especially, to to go ahead with their charges? Would that make it more likely that the state officials who would not be subject to his pardon? Well, and that that will action? that will raise the question and have to be determined that presidential pardons only apply to federal law. That's yeah. the assumption, yeah. but is that what the law actually says? I'm not sure. Oh, good question. Uh, and, and guys, we owe something to the presidency, the presidency, the institutional presidency of the United States. You can't treat the president like we treated Mrs. Lincoln. We put her in the poorhouse after she had served as first lady. She died a pauper. Guys, and the American people looked at that when they reflected on they said this should never happen again to a first lady. And it should not happen to a president. A president is serving the, in the best capacity he can for the people of his country, even though he may get cited as self-serving. But you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he serves for the American people. And it's, no, it's, not, it, it, it's a difficult thing to serve 300 and 30 million opinions in the United States. It's impossible. So uh, we have to protect that image of the president. We can't leave him like a, a noose around his neck hanging on a tree along the Mississippi River. You know, like... We don't uh, want to treat him like Mussolini. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I think it's... In terms of bringing the nation to... Our democracy will die with it. Yeah, in terms of bringing the nation together, probably the prosecution would not be wise. For all the temptation there is to it on some parts, it probably politically yeah. would not be a wise move in terms of the overall goal of, of yeah. bringing some kind of unity. Well, I don't know if we have time to get this in, but I want to try and squeeze this in because I thought it was remarkable. Several conservative U.S. Supreme Court justices on Monday seemed to suggest they could avoid immediately ruling on whether President Donald Trump's attempt to exclude undocumented immigrants from being counted when seats in Congress are divvied up between the states next year is lawful. Several states, led by New York and immigrant rights groups, want the court to affirm a lower court decision and block the White House proposal. Chief Justice Justice John Roberts asked whether the court should wait. He said that as things stand now, we don't know what the president is going to do. We don't know how many aliens will be excluded. Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's third Supreme Court nominee, seemed to agree. Doesn't that cut in favor of waiting, she asked. Barrett at one point did seem to suggest that the early founders meant that all residents should be counted in the census, so the idea of excluding undocumented immigrants from part of the count may not pass constitutional muster because Trump exceeded his authority. A lot of the historical evidence and long-standing practice really cuts against your position, she told an administration lawyer. Is this what conservatives were expecting from the new supermajority on the high court? Probably no. not. But, uh, but but again, I think the court wants to be, be wants to prove that it's truly a third and independent branch of government. They don't want to see be seen as pawns. Well, and I think both uh, Roberts and Barrett, which a lot of people you know thought was going to just always go with conserva conservative ideology. Uh, but she said, I'm going to be a rule of law judge, and she seems to be barreting that out. 
I think Democrats will grow to appreciate her and go on. I, I like think you're. Did. I think you're yeah. right, Henry. In any event, I wanted to make sure and squeeze that in because I thought that was uh, indeed remarkable. But we have to take a short break, and we'll come back uh, and wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics with the X-Files. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint, uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Santa baby, just live a sable under the tree for me. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. If you have a knack for sales and fundraising and would like to become a valued member of a fun team, you could be a good fit for the Tom Sumner program. Help us develop the underwriters needed to continue to grow our brand. Write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com. The Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. 
Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com. Oh, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back to the final segment of Armchair Politics uh, on this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And... uh, well, I'll just go ahead and... These are those weird and wanky, odd news stories uh, sometimes that are difficult to tell from the regular headlines, but uh, true nonetheless. Czech police are seeking help in an unusual case after a deer turned the tables on hunters and snagged a pursuer's rifle on his antlers before running away. <laughs> the deer, frightened by a dog, ran toward one of the hunting party, tore his sleeve, and caught a strap of a 22 Hornet rifle on his <laughs> antlers, according to police. The rifle, which the hunter had slung over his left arm, fortunately without ammo, slipped on the uh, deer's antlers and disappeared with him, the police said. Police said another hunter later spotted the deer about a kilometer away, still carrying the gun. (laughs) Coming toward them like the Rough Riders. (laughs) Do armed deer change the nature of deer hunting? Yeah, I guess you a whole new definition for deer hunting season, doesn't it? Well, it, it <laughs> I mean, the, the levels the, the hunting. It levels the playing field a little bit, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, the lighting ceremony. I would like to have been a witness. Wouldn't that, that. be fun? Well, you remember, remember the old joke about the uh, you know the right to bear arms, and then, then the, the the counterpoint was the right to arm bears. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the lighting ceremony in Bridgewater, England, didn't go entirely as planned. Comedy is all about timing, so the socially distanced lighting of the town's Christmas lights in Bridgewater uh, last week is comic gold. Video shared on Twitter uh, by the BBC Radio uh, on Friday showed the lights illuminating before local dignitaries had finished plunging the detonator that was appearing to turn them on. Should they have uh, rehearsed this festive illusion? <laughs> they probably should have to make it look more realistic. It's, uh... 
Well, let's see. Um, oh, this one's fun. Um, a Minnesota woman, uh, Katie Morlock, said she fed a squirrel an old pear from her fridge, but realized later that the fruit had fermented into a boozy snack for the critter. Recent viral video shows the squirrel, which she named Little Red, nearly uh, keeling over after bellying up to this <laughs> treat. Morlock thought she was leaving out a safe nibble for the squirrels, but Little Red's uh, apparent stupor and repeat business indicated otherwise. And then it kind of dawned on me, oh no, those pears were so old, I bet they fermented. Morlock of uh, Invergrove Heights, Minnesota told Fox 9. And then he got drunk, and I did not mean to do that, so I went out and I grabbed all the pears. Morlock said Little recovered, uh, Little Red recovered with a little hangover breakfast. Um, is this animal cruelty or happy hour? <laughs> Probably happy hour. Maybe she ought to save a few yeah, more pears for New Year's Eve. <laughs> we would hope it's happy hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's one that really kind of fits the whole theme of the X-Files. A mysterious metallic monolith discovered deep in a Utah desert has suddenly vanished just days after it was first spotted by biologists from the air. The 12-foot-tall structure apparently disappeared Friday night, according to, quote, credible reports, the Utah Bureau of Land Management said in a statement. The illegally installed structure was removed by an unknown party and not by department personnel, according to the BLM. There will be no investigation into its disappearance by the BLM because the monolith is private property and not part of the public lands, the statement added. In the missing monolith's place were some red rocks and a metallic triangle. Could this monolith have been an extraterrestrial cell tower? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> well, like, that's what first comes to mind. <clears throat> that comes to mind first from people who are skeptics, cynics. Uh, um, it, it takes some doing to lose something with that kind of uh, um, volume to it, because it has to be solid. So. We would think. I was going to say, you gotta didn't, have a a, go ahead. didn't a similar monolith appear within the last day or so somewhere in Eastern Europe, I think. I'm thinking Romania or Bulgaria, but I'm not sure if I'm right. I, ha I haven't seen that, but I'd be curious. Um, the metallic triangle left behind um, almost looks like it was a base for this monolith, because the monolith yeah. was triangular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw pictures of that. Yeah. There was a story this morning that, that the, a similar or maybe the same monolith appeared again. I think it was in Eastern Europe. Uh, again, I'm not even sure which country it was right now because it's a very short story. But I wonder if it was some kind of an artist stunt of some sort to pop these things up. Maybe I, it is UFOs. I kind of think that it was, and there are some people, you know, some of the people who picked this up on uh, Twitter and responded to it were making comparisons to the uh, the monolith in the, the movie 2001, A Space yeah, Odyssey. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that it, it, it may have been a, a prank along those, along those lines. You know, it, it's interesting when you look at that and begin to consider what is practical. 
one cubic foot of concrete would weigh about 262 pounds. Iron would weigh, weigh 500 pounds per cubic foot. So uh, to move something like that, you know, a cubic foot, there's only one foot high and 12 inches wide and 12 inches deep. You go one foot. Try to figure out how someone could move something. And this thing was about at least six foot high, right? 12 well, foot. At least that. It was yeah, 12 yeah. foot. 12 foot high? Yeah. Well, just think about that. If that were solid, it would take something uh, short of a crane to lift it. Oh, I think, think it would yeah. be Well, yeah, it, it looked like it looked polished steel, like either stainless steel or it looked like polished metal of some kind, the pictures I saw at least. Yeah. Uh, well, stainless steel is very heavy per yeah. cubic foot. Well, that wraps it up for uh, armchair politics and uh, and the X Files. Uh, except to to bring up one thing because we have about two minutes left. The um, lame duck session in Lansing will be underway soon, and yeah, I, right. I uh, and I wonder. Uh, this was something that that Paul had brought to my attention. I hadn't really given it any thought. Do you think they'll be uh, bogged down with? Um, social distancing and and covid considerations um both for their own safety and also um for developing some sort of covid plan or will we see a flurry of legislation like we often do in a hmm. lame duck session well i think that everything is so confusing right now and so up in the air we're afraid to take one step ahead or one step backwards so i think they'd be cautious yeah, I think the COVID thing will make them more cautious, but I think they'll have to address some COVID issues, and they may simply pass the buck to the governor on some of that stuff, but at least I think we'll hear some resolutions and some statements about uh, the governor's role, the governor's actions, at the very least. But I think compared to other lame duck sessions, my guess is probably will be less, uh, less legislation, less productive. Maybe that's a good thing, I suppose. Well, as I said, that uh, about wraps it up for today's uh, edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And, of course, before Armchair Politics, my uh, conversation with economist um, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. I want to say thanks to Chris, but I also want to give a, uh, a huge thanks to um, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry, Hatt on the, uh, Henry Hatter on the right. Thank you, gentlemen. And you thought we, were, we thought you were going to miss that third person, but <laughs> Paul and I carried this thing and didn't leave <laughs> room for anybody else. <laughs> just give us more chance to talk, Henry. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's right. Well, you both did thank great, you. as always, and thank, thank you. you so much for your uh, ongoing participation. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to bring in uh, different people from time to time. Sure. But, but, uh, it is. But I never worry about it if... Uh, if we're not able to have a third chair, we're, we're still covered. We do great. Anyway, thank you, gentlemen. And that's uh, Smoking George thank Winters you. tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody. program is a live variety show 
we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.